Chapter Two of Eben Holden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Eben Holden: A Tale of the North Country by Irving Bachelor. Chapter Two. We heard no more of the voices. Uncle Eb had brought an armful of wood and some water in the teapot while I was sleeping. As soon as the rain had passed, he stood listening a while and shortly opened his knife and made a little clearing in the corn by cutting a few hills. "'We've got to do it,' he said, "'or we can't take any comfort, and the man told me I could have all the corn I wanted.' "'Did you see him, Uncle Eb?' I remember asking. "'Yes,' he answered, whittling in the dark. "'I saw him when I went out for the water, and it was he told me they were after us.' He took a look at the sky after a while, and, remarking that he guessed they couldn't see his smoke now, began to kindle the fire. As it burned up, he stuck two crotches and hung his teapot on a stick that lay in them, so it took the heat of the flame, as I had seen him do in the morning. Our grotto in the corn was shortly as cheerful as any room in a palace, and our fire sent its light into the long aisles that opened opposite and nobody could see the warm glow of it but ourselves. "'We'll have our supper,' said Uncle Eb, as he opened a paper and spread out the eggs and bread and butter and crackers. "'We'll just have our supper, and by and by, when everyone's abed, we'll make tracks in the dirt, I can tell you.' Our supper over, Uncle Eb let me look at his tobacco box, a shiny thing of German silver, that always seemed to snap out a quick farewell to me before it dove into his pocket. He was very cheerful and communicative, and joked a good deal as we lay there waiting in the firelight. I got some further acquaintance with the swift, learning among other things that it had no appetite for the pure in heart. "'Why not?' I inquired. "'Well,' said Uncle Eb, "'it's like this.' The meaner the boy, the sweeter the meat. He sang an old song as he sat by the fire, with a whistled interlude between lines, and the swing of it even now carries me back to that far day in the fields. I lay with my head in his lap while he was singing. Years after, when I could have carried him on my back, he wrote down for me the words of the old song. Here they are, about as he sang them, although there are evidences of repair in certain lines to supply the loss of phrases that had dropped out of his memory. I was going to Salem one bright summer day. I met a young maiden a-going my way. Oh, my fallow, faddling fallow, faddle away. And many a time I had seen her before, but I never dare tell her the love that I bore. Oh, my fallow, etc., "'Oh, where are you going, my pretty fair maid? "'Oh, sir, I am going to Salem,' she said. "'Oh, my fallow, etc. "'Oh, why are you going so far in a day? "'For warm is the weather and long is the way. "'Oh, my fallow, etc. "'Oh, sir, I've forgotten, I have, I declare, "'but it's nothing to eat and it's nothing to wear. "'Oh, my fallow, etc. Oh, ho, then I have it, you pretty young miss. I'll bet it is only three words and a kiss. Oh, my fallow, etc. 
"'Young woman, young woman, oh, how will it do "'if I go see your lover and bring him to you? "'Oh, my fallow, etc. "'It's a very long journey,' says she, I am told, "'and before you get back they would surely be cold. "'Oh, my fallow, etc. "'I have him right with me, I vum and I vow, "'and if you don't object, I'll deliver him now. "'Oh, my fallow, etc.' She laid her fair head all on to my breast, and you wouldn't know more if I told you the rest. Oh, my fellow, etc. I went asleep after a while in spite of all, right in the middle of a story. The droning voice of Uncle Eb and the feel of his hand upon my forehead called me back, blinking once or twice, but not for long. The fire was gone down to a few embers when Uncle Eb woke me, and the grotto was lit only by a sprinkle of moonlight from above. "'Most twelve o'clock,' he whispered. "'Better be off.' The basket was on his back, and he was all ready. I followed him through the long aisle of corn, clinging to the tall of his coat. The golden lantern of the moon hung near the zenith, and when we came out in the open we could see into the far fields. I climbed into my basket at the wall, and as Uncle Eb carried me over the brook, stopping on a flat rock midway to take a drink, I could see the sky in the water, and it seemed as if a misstep would have tumbled me into the moon. "'Hear the crickets holler,' said Uncle Eb, as he followed the bank up into the open pasture. "'What makes them holler?' I asked. Oh, they're just filing their saws and thinking, maybe telling of what's happened to em. Been a hard day for them little folks. Terrible flood in their country. Every one of em had to get up a steeple quick. She could have be drowned. They have their troubles, and they talk about them too. What do they file their saws for? I inquired. Well, you know, said he. Where they live, the timber's thick, and they have hard work clearin' to make a home. I was getting too sleepy for further talk. He made his way from field to field, stopping sometimes to look off at the distant mountains, then at the sky, or to whack the dry stalks of mullen with his cane. I remember he let down some bars after a long walk and stepped into a smooth roadway. He stood resting a little while, his basket on the top bar, and then the moon that I had been watching went down behind the broad rim of his hat, and I fell into utter forgetfulness. My eyes opened on a lovely scene at daylight. Uncle Eb had laid me on a mossy knoll in a bit of timber, and through an opening right in front of us I could see a broad level of shining water and the great green mountain on the further shore seemed to be up to its belly in the sea. "'Hello there,' said Uncle Eb. "'Here we are at Lake Champlain.' I could hear the fire crackling and smell the odor of steeping tea. "'You flopped round like a fish in that basket,' said Uncle Eb. "'Yes, you must have been dreaming of bears. Jumped so you scared me. Didn't know, but I had a wildcat on my shoulders. Uncle Eb had taken a fish line out of his pocket and was tying it to a rude pole that he had cut and trimmed with his jackknife. 
"'I've found some crawfish here,' he said, "'and I'm going to try for a bite on the point of rocks there.' "'Going to get some fish, Uncle Eb?' I inquired. "'Wouldn't say it I was, or wouldn't say it I wasn't,' he answered. "'Just going to try.' Uncle Eb was always careful not to commit himself on a doubtful point. He had fixed his hook and sinker in a moment, and then we went out on a rocky point nearby and threw off into the deep water. Suddenly Uncle Eb gave a jerk that brought a groan out of him, and then let his hook go down again, his hands trembling, his face severe. "'By mighty, Uncle Eb,' he muttered to himself, "'I thought we had him that time.' He jerked again presently, and then I could see a tug on the line that made me jump. A big fish came thrashing into the air in a minute. He tried to swing it ashore, but the pole bent and the fish got a fresh hold of the water and took the end of the pole under. Uncle Eb gave it a lift then that brought it ashore and a good bit of water with it. I remember how the fish slapped me with its wet tail and sprinkled my face, shaking itself between my boots. It was a big bass, and in a little while we had three of them. Uncle Eb dressed them and laid them over the fire on a gridiron of green birch, salting them as they cooked. I remember they went with a fine relish, and the last of our eggs and bread and butter went with them. Our breakfast over... Uncle Eb made me promise to stay with Fred and the basket while he went away to find a man who could row us across. In about an hour I heard a boat coming, and the dog and I went out on the point of rocks where we saw Uncle Eb and another man heading for us half over the cove. The bow bumped the rocks beneath us in a minute. Then the stranger dropped his oars and stood staring at me and the dog. "'Say, mister,' said he, presently, "'can't go no further. "'There's a reward offered for you and that boy.' Uncle Eb called him aside and was talking to him a long time. I never knew what was said, but they came at last and took us into the boat, and the stranger was very friendly. When we had come near the landing on the York State side, I remember he gave us our bearings. "'Keep to the woods,' he said, "'till you're out of harm's way. "'Don't go near the stage road for a while. "'You'll find a store a little way up the mountain. "'Get your provisions there, "'and about eighty rod farther you'll strike the trail. "'It'll take you over the mountain north and to Paradise Road. "'Then take the white church on your right shoulder "'and go straight west.' I would not have remembered it so well but for the fact that Uncle Eb wrote it all down in his account book, and that has helped me over many a slippery place in my memory of those events. At the store we got some crackers and cheese, tea and coffee, dried beef and herring, a bit of honey and a loaf of bread that was sliced and buttered before it was done up. We were off in the woods by nine o'clock, according to Uncle Eb's diary, and I remember the trail led us into thick brush where I had to get out and walk a long way. It was smooth underfoot, however, and at noon we came to a slash in the timber, full of briars that were all aglow with big blackberries. 
we filled our hats with them, and Uncle Eb found a spring, beside which we built a fire and had a memorable meal that made me glad of my hunger. Then we spread the oilcloth and lay down for another sleep. We could see the glow of the setting sun through the treetops when we woke and began our packing. "'We'll have to hurry,' said Uncle Eb, "'or we'll never get out of the woods tonight. It's about six mile or more to Paradise Road, as I make it. Come, you're slower'n a toad in a tar barrel.' We hurried off on the trail, and I remember Fred looked very crestfallen with two big packages tied to his collar. He delayed a bit by trying to shake them off, but Uncle Eb gave him a sharp word or two, and then he walked along very thoughtfully. Uncle Eb was a little out of patience that evening, and I thought he bore down too harshly in his rebuke of the old dog. "'You shiftless cuss,' he said to him. "'You'd just do nothing but chase squirrels and let me break my back to carry your dinner.' It was glooming fast in the thick timber, and Uncle Eb almost ran with me while the way was plain. The last ringing note of the wood thrush had died away, and in a little while it was so dark I could distinguish nothing but the looming mass of tree trunks. He stopped suddenly and strained his eyes in the dark. Then he whistled a sharp, sliding note, and the sound of it gave me some hint of his trouble. "'Get down, Willie,' said he, "'and take my hand. I'm afraid we're lost here in the big woods.' We groped about for a minute, trying to find the trail. "'No use,' he said presently. "'We'll have to stop right here. Oughter a known better'n to come through so near sundown. Guess it was more'n anybody could do.' He built a fire and began to lay out a supper for us then while Fred sat down by me to be relieved of his bundles. Our supper was rather dry, for we had no water, but it was only two hours since we left the spring, so we were not suffering yet. Uncle Eb took out of the fire a burning brand of pine and went away into the gloomy woods, holding it above his head, while Fred and I sat by the fire. "'It's lucky we didn't go no further.' he said as he came in after a few minutes. "'There's a big precipice over yonder. I don't know how deep it is. Guess we'd have found out pretty soon.' He cut some boughs of hemlock growing near us and spread them in a little hollow. That done, we covered them with the oilcloth and sat down comfortably by the fire. Uncle Eb had a serious look and was not inclined to talk or storytelling. Before turning in, he asked me to kneel and say my prayer, as I had done every evening at the feet of my mother. I remember clearly kneeling before my old companion and hearing the echo of my small voice there in the dark and lonely woods. I remember, too, and even more clearly, how he bent his head and covered his eyes in that brief moment. I had a great dread of darkness and imagined much evil of the forest, but somehow I had no fear if he were near me. When we had fixed the fire and lain down for the night on the fragrant hemlock and covered ourselves with the shawl, Uncle Eb lay on one side of me and old Fred on the other, 
so I felt secure indeed. The night had many voices there in the deep wood. Away in the distance I could hear a strange, wild cry, and I asked what it was, and Uncle Eb whispered back, "'It's a loon!' Down the side of the mountain a shrill bark rang in the timber, and that was a fox, according to my patient oracle. Anon we heard the crash and thunder of a falling tree, and a murmur that followed in the wake of the last echo. "'Big tree fallen,' said Uncle Eb, as he lay gaping. "'It has to break away to the ground, and it must hurt. Did you notice how the woods tremble?' If we was up above them, we could see the hole that tree had made. Just like an open grave till the others have filled it with their tops. My ears had gone deaf with drowsiness when a quick stir in the body of Uncle Eb brought me back to my senses. He was up on his elbow listening, and the firelight had sunk to a glimmer. Fred lay shivering and growling beside me. I could hear no other sound. "'Be still!' said Uncle Eb, as he boxed the dog's ears. Then he rose and began to stir the fire and lay on more wood. As the flame leaped and threw its light into the treetops, a shrill cry, like the scream of a frightened woman, only louder and more terrible to hear, brought me to my feet, crying. I knew the source of it was near us and ran to Uncle Eb in a fearful panic. "'Hush, boy,' said he as it died away and went echoing in the far forest. "'I'll take care of you. Don't be scared. He's more afraid of us than we are of him. He's making off now.' We heard then a great crackling of dead brush on the mountain above us. It grew fainter as we listened. In a little while the woods were silent. "'It's the old man of the woods.' said Uncle Eb. He's out taking a walk. "'Will he hurt folks?' I inquired. "'Toe,' he answered. "'Just as harmless as a kitten.'" End of chapter 2 Recording by Roger Moline